Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Hooked on Homeschool. I'm really excited to share today's episode with Brad. He is the owner and creator of the website Taming the High Cost of College, where in today's episode, what we are really going to do is talk about is college right for your child when you should start preparing for college? Does your child want to go to college? We talk about everything college, yes to college, no to college, the fees of college, and everything you need to know if you have a child that wants to go to college and also doesn't want to go to college. We cover everything. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I think you're really going to learn a lot. Hi, friends. Are you ready to homeschool, but you're just not sure how to begin? Do you feel overwhelmed or frustrated with the public school and noticing that your child is constantly struggling or falling behind? Are you ready to say goodbye to that hectic and stressful weekday schedule and embrace a completely different approach? Do you find that your child is exhausted from those long days at school, followed by hours of homework at night? And are you constantly experiencing stress and overwhelm as a result? I'm here to share some great news with you. There is a better way, and it's called homeschooling. Experience quiet and peaceful mornings again. How about instilling a sense of joy and excitement for learning in your child? Witness their true passions unfold as you go on this fulfilling journey together. Welcome to Hooked on Homeschool. I am Dawn Janowitz, a homeschool mom, wife, podcaster, and online course creator. And I want to give you the clarity, the confidence, the freedom, and all the strategies to show you that it is possible to create an amazing homeschool experience that works for both you and your kids. So come on, ladies, let's go from hot mess express to fierce and fun, and let's get hooked on homeschool. Hi, Brad. How are you today? I'm doing great. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I think a lot of homeschool parents aren't really sure about what the next steps are after they homeschool after high school. So I'm excited to have you here so we can kind of go through what the steps are of what people need to know. So let's just first ask the first question is, if I'm a parent and I need to plan for college, how do I get started and where should I begin? Well, I think the first step is to really understand the college timeline, because I think that confuses some people. And then the biggest caveat as well is it's a lot different now than it used to be. So if, especially for older parents, the game has changed quite a bit. And we'll get into that a little bit. But so the first step really is to understand that there's, I would call early stage planning and late stage planning. So early stage planning is, you know, we've got kids in grade school, we've got, oh, we're pregnant, let's start saving for college, whatever it might be, where you don't have a lot of detail about the student or the future student. What you are thinking about is, should we pre prepare financially? You know, should we set up a savings plan? Should we put money away somehow? And that's, you know, something that most families should be doing. But once you get to what I call late stage planning, which is somewhere as you're rolling into high school or ninth grade or homeschool, high school, however, whatever you would call that in the homeschool community. But when you start getting you know, four years out from college, now it's time to start thinking about the realities of late stage planning. And late stage planning includes things like visiting the colleges and will you qualify for need-based aid and merit aid? And how do you pick a career path? And are you going to have to write essays and take tests and all the stuff? And you may have done a great job of early stage planning when you had a two-year-old, but you're still going to have to do all the late stage planning You'll have the advantage of maybe having a big pot of money to help pay for college, which some families have and some families don't. 
But no matter what, the late stage, I think, is where it starts to get more complicated and it's good, and it's a process. It's not something you're going to figure out on one Sunday afternoon. It's something you're going to work on for many Sunday afternoons and the student's going to do some things. And the parents are going to do some things. Okay. So, so if I have a child, let's say I have one in high school right now, which I do a ninth grader, and then I also have a second grader. So I would have to, it's best to focus on them both. So the ninth grade, I would be the late stage. And then the second grader would be the early stage. Right. So if you had to choose one, obviously it would be the ninth grader, right? Right. But you could still get in at a lower cost for the younger child, right? So right. it's kind of good to know. So what does that look like? I guess parents who are listening might not really think about, because they're in ninth grade, you still got a few more years, but it gets worse. It's kind of like retirement. When you start looking at retirement when you're 50, it's a lot different when you're looking at retirement when you're 30. Absolutely. So I think we understand that concept, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. You start thinking about things like, well, how are we going to be fair, right? So if, you know, most people don't want to go to their youngest and say, you know, we didn't plan very well, so all the college money's gone, you don't get to go, right? That's not a good plan. So the plan is, well, you know, and I had a dad come to me a few years ago. He had a really sharp daughter, performing arts, was doing really well. She wanted to go to New York and study near Broadway. So she was looking at the Tisch Performing Arts at the NYU and that's, you know, that's 80 some thousand a year to go to NYU now. Wow. What? Exactly. Now, and she was a bright student and did well. So she got some scholarships. So the net cost in his case was 35,000. A year. A year. Now, and this was his whole oldest of four. So he started thinking about that and going, well, 35,000 times four years is 140,000 times four kids is, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. So he was trying to figure out can I afford to do it? And he, you know, he had a strong career. He was earning, he was an engineering manager or something. He was earning a good living and his, you know, mom was working as well. So we figured out that they could afford to do it. You know, it turned out that, you know, he was on track to retire at 60, 62. If, but if he spent a lot of money on college, it might delay it to 64 or 65. So, and his, you know, so he decided it was worth spending the money. He, I think that's where a lot of families kind of reside is, you know, some families it's, we got to find the lowest way to get this done, whatever it might be. But there's some families that have a little bit of cushion and where they can say, you know, we could spend a little more if we want to. But with homeschool moms, we're typically one income because one of the parents stay home. So do you have like a number amount, like what it would be if someone was in second grade versus ninth grade? Is it like 100 a month? Is it 300 a month? How does that work? Right. Well, so the average state school costs 27000 a year. Okay. Wow. So 100 grand for an education. Correct. And now that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer and pizza. It's the whole on-campus experience. So a lot of families are going to say, well, we could go to the local community college for 6000 a year and live at home at, or live in an apartment with friends or whatever. And kids don't eat beer and pizza now. They want martinis and sushi. Just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> that may be true. <laughs> yes. So, but that's kind of the process, right? That there are low cost options. Right now, less than half of college students are what we think of as a college student, right? The someone that rolled out of high school and went on to college and is living in, you know, living in that four year, living on campus, four year degree type of college student. That's less than half of college students, right? Now. The other half are adult learners. They're kids that are commuting. They're all different, a big mix of different options. So, and I think that's what gets lost in translation a lot is 
when we talk about college, it's a very diverse bag. And then, of course, there's also tech colleges and internships and getting into the trades and apprenticeships. And there's all kinds of ways to get an education these days. So there is a, you know, for some kids, a four-year education is the right path. For some kids, it's definitely the wrong path. And for some kids, it's a tough call. You're not sure. And maybe you'll try it, maybe you won't, or maybe you'll try an alternative. So I think that's the first step is to really understand, are all the kids going to go to college? How much are parents going to contribute towards college? Are the, are the kids more on their own? And how is that going to you know, kind of piece together? But when you have a second grader, I have a second grader and a four-year-old, like my four-year-old loves cars. I have to just go into it as if he'll go to college because I'm not going to say, oh, he's going to be an auto mechanic because he loves to play with Hot Wheels, right? So when they're young, you, you don't know if they're going to go to a trade school or an actual college. So do you just plan for how do we save the most for a traditional college? Right. So, right. So an, exa- an example, maybe you would save a couple hundred dollars a month from the time a student is born until they get to college. Now, a lot of parents say, well, that wasn't reality when the kids were born because we had all these crazy daycare expenses. We didn't have that strong of income. Okay. Well, now you're a little behind. So now you maybe need to do 300 a month or 400 a month to get caught up. And again, and you don't have to, but if you think of it that way, that helps you kind of budget the rest of your life. What I see happen a lot is I've got parents of 17-year-olds, and let's say the family earns $200,000 a year. And they look at me and say, well, college is crazy expensive. You're saying that we need another 1500 a month or 2000 a month to make this work. Because they have multiple kids. We have multiple kids. We're looking at expensive schools, whatever it is. There's no way we can afford that. And then the next person I talk to earns 100000 And kind of the same thing. Well, it's 1000 a month. There's no way we can afford that. And by the way, that guy that was here earlier that earns 200000 I don't understand what he was crying about. I mean, he makes a hundred thousand more than me. He should easily be able to afford college. That's not the reality because most families learn how to spend what they earn and they, their lifestyle grows to kind of absorb whatever it is. That's my bigger garage theory, right? I don't care how big your garage is. It's always full. And if you had a bigger garage, you just get more stuff and then it would be full again. And the reality is People that have a two-car garage and say the guy that has a three-car garage has it made, and the guy that has a three-car garage, you know, so forth and so on. It's the same thing with income, right? Is you so the challenge I think for many families is to learn how to save it before you learn how to spend it and build college into your budget. If you surveyed, you know, a hundred families and asked them, well, what's most important as far as financial goals? Most of them are going to say retirement and education, or maybe the other way around: education's first, then retirement. And then they got a wedding they got to plan for in the middle of that. Well, right. Well, that's what they say, right? That's what's most important. Then you look at where their money goes and it goes everywhere except education and retirement because there's a lot of instant gratification, instant you know needs that we have right now and college is in the future. And I mean, you've got a young or someone in high school now, doesn't it seem like just not long ago you were changing diapers and it just bang, the time goes and you go like, wait a minute, I, you know, I squandered all my opportunities to, to plan ahead. So I think that's the first step, right, is to really understand, are we early stage or late stage? How much are we willing to save and or contribute? And again, for some families, it's like, well, when the kids were young, we, you know, we were just starting out and things were tough. Things are a lot better now. I think we could borrow some money to help with college, or maybe we could just, we could afford a thousand a month now or 2000 a month now. We couldn't back then, just, we could afford a couple hundred back then, but now we've got something to work with. So there's no there's no magic here. You actually have to save. Right. Well, no, you don't have to save. You can pay back the loans. That's what I'm saying is some families say we've saved nothing. 
but we're going to borrow $50,000 as parents. The student's going to borrow some money and we're going to contribute some money out of our current income and cash flow. And between all of that, you can make a plan that works. And then the parents say, well, when college is done and we have a 500 a month loan payment for 10 years, that's fine. That's, you know, that's because we didn't, our careers didn't do what they were supposed to do when we were younger, but now we're back on track. And then some families are going to say, no, as parents, we're not even going to borrow that 50. We'll help the student borrow that 50 or help the student borrow 25. Or maybe the student's going to have to live at home and keep the costs low. You know, if you're giving up the lake home to pay crazy amounts of money for college, you know, that's that's your choice, right? You've got the money, you can spend it how you like. But if you're putting yourself into the poorhouse or destroying your retirement because you're paying crazy amounts of money for college, that's a different challenge. And I think parents have a real struggle with saying no, or they feel guilty about not being able to afford it or whatever it might be and coming up with, well, what's fair and a plan and how do we hold to it? So what are some options that parents have to help pay for college? So I think the first thing to really understand again is there's two steps to paying for college once you get there. So if you've got a high school, sophomore, junior, freshman even, you're going to start to look at colleges and visit colleges and they all have these published price prices. But the reality is it's like the $42 t-shirt at Kohl's where, but I use all my magic and all, next thing you know, it's a $10 t-shirt or you just go to Walmart and they, they're at $10 to begin with. It's kind of that same system where we're challenged with college that a lot of colleges list at 60 or 80,000 a year, but their net price is not that because you get scholarships and grants and help of various sorts from the college, from the government, et cetera, your net cost could be substantially lower. So like I mentioned, the average public school is 27,000 and state schools are not very generous. The average benefit is about 8,000. So your average net cost is 19,000. The average private school is 57,000, but their average award is 27,000. So their net cost comes down a lot. And for some families, you can get enough aid where the private school is actually a lower cost option. Stanford just put out a press release again this year saying that all families whose income is under $100,000, college will be free at Stanford. So tuition and room and board will be zero. Wow, that's pretty cool. Right. And if your income is under $150,000, then tuition will be zero and you may have to pay some of the room and board. So that sounds great. Now, the challenge, of course, is you need to have a student that can get accepted to Stanford, which is no small feat. Yeah, if they're going to give that scholarship, they're going to make sure that student is extremely intelligent, right? Right, exactly. Right. Stanford's very competitive. You know, it's, it's like like the Ivies and, you know, there's many colleges out there that are extremely competitive. And if you can get in, a lot of times the money will fall into place. So that's that's another thing. So if your child does really well and wants to get into Ivy League schools and you have like no money, if they're smart enough and intelligent enough and do what they need to do, they'll get in those. They can get the scholarships to get in. That's pretty interesting to know. Absolutely. The top schools are, you know, they've got billions in endowments and, and finances. Money is never a problem at the top schools. They will, if you need it, they will give it to you. So that again, Stanford says, if you can get in and you don't have any, your income's under a hundred thousand, we will just pay for it all. That's not the issue, but then you've got to be able to get in. So, and there's very similar systems in many states around their flagship state school or the local state schools. Again, where if your income is at these lines, then 
you get these benefits. They're actually changing how the FAFSA works. So right now the FAFSA is undergoing a change where what we fill out this fall is different than what we did last fall. So go ahead and explain what the FAFSA is. So the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. So it's the application that all families are going to fill out when you start getting into the college. So you fill this out typically in the fall of your senior year and you use taxes from the previous year. So if you have a 2028 graduate, let's say, you're going to fill it out in 2027 using 2026 taxes. Gotcha. Okay. Now, with the new FAFSA rules, if, you know, and homeschools tend to have large families. So if you have a large family and your AGI is below a a number and say it's 70,000 for family of four kids and two adults. So right now it's about 70,000. So if your income is below 70,000 on your taxes, then you automatically qualify for the maximum Pell Grant. Now, and you don't have to report your assets and there's all kinds of, you know, what I say is the magic happens if you can stay under that line. Now this is new. So most people aren't even aware that this whole process exists where stay under this line, the magic happens and you don't have to report your assets you and you qualify for a maximum Pell Grant. Now, how the colleges are going to treat it is still up in the air because this is new to them too. So we don't know. They haven't told us exactly how the process is going to work. But just being aware that there's things that you can do. Now, the challenge, of course, is if you have a graduate in 2028, it's based on 2026 taxes, which is actually the taxes that start your sophomore year and end your junior year. So if you have a high school freshman right now. I think my son's graduation is 2027. Right. So it's going to be based on 2025 taxes. So you can do 2023 how you want and 2024. But then once they're a second half of sophomore year, that's the taxes that that they're going to see. And now you want to maybe control your AGI, which is adjusted gross income, which is a technical term from your taxes. And all of a sudden now, do you want to learn all this and figure it out and make sure you do it well? Or do you, you know, do you want to outsource this or, but I think there's a lot of opportunity where families can maximize the aid that they receive so that their net cost is as low as possible. And then from there, most of the time, college isn't completely free. There's going to be some cost. And then how do we pay for that efficiently? Do we have college savings plans of some sort? Do we have other assets that we can use? Is the student going to work? Are the parents going to work? How do we you know, cover the whatever remains? So again, as an example, the average state school, let's say is, keep it simple, let's say it's 25000 for tuition, room and board and all the costs. Well, the student can borrow 5500 as a freshman. And let's assume that they can earn another 4500 in their summer work and graduation money and whatever it might be. Well, that's 10000 towards the twenty five, so at least fifteen for this parents. Now, parents whose income is $100,000 plus, there's a good chance that due to you know, need-based aid is going to say you can afford that fifteen, So they're not going to provide additional aid. So if your income is 100000 or 200000 you know, that's going to be the cost. Now, in most families, that's reasonably affordable if you're in that range. Hi, friends. Are you wanting to homeschool, but you just don't even know where to start? If so, I have got some exciting news to share with you. Did you know that I have a free workshop that will help you get started with homeschooling? Plus, I'll give you valuable tips and insights to help guide you along the way. I invite you to visit Hooked on Homeschool, where I'll teach you how to create an amazing homeschool experience right now. Take this first step towards the incredible journey of homeschooling 
by visiting hookedonhomeschool.com. But if everybody's living at their income level, someone who's making 100 grand might be just as broke as someone who's making 300 grand. Exactly. I'm saying it's doable. I'm not saying it's not going to hurt. Okay. okay. What they've done with college is they've raised the prices until it hurts (laughs) at every level, right? So if your income is 50,000, you pay less than someone that's 100 and you pay less than someone that's 150. And they've just kept raising the prices. And finally, they're starting to get some pushback where parents are saying, well, that's just too much. We can't do that. So then they've kind of slowed down, but prices were raising very quickly for a while. And now, you know, so it hurts at every level, but, you know, so again, that family that's earning a hundred plus that can afford 15,000, at least mathematically, it would make sense. Now, remember I said, you can get the maximum Pell Grant if your income's below, say, 50,000 or less. Well, Pell Grant's another 7,000. So now that 15 comes down to eight. So, you know, so for families that need it, there's also maybe some state aid and some grant aid on top of that. So maybe you can get eight or 10 from the government. The student can earn five and borrow five, and that leaves five for mom and dad. So do you work on like a case-by-case basis? Because it seems like you you know some of the, I don't know, loopholes, for lack of a better term, of you know how parents can get their children into a college. And why, answer me this. Why is it that parents feel like whatever college the child wants to go to, the, the parents, like, even though it creates a financial strain for them, they feel like, okay, this is where you want to go. Here you go. Like, I just don't think that. Like, if my son wanted to go to some college that it was a financial strain on us or didn't feel like it was the right fit, but that's where they wanted to go. It seems like you're 18 years old and you're picking, you know, this college and parents will go broke sending their kids there. Why is that? Well, and that and that's shifting. But in the past, if you went to college, it was kind of the golden ticket, right? You go to college, you get a good career, you're less likely to have layoffs, et cetera, et cetera, and your income is strong. That's the golden phrase, you're going to get a good career. It's not guaranteed now anymore. Exactly, right? So now college is, again, because they've tried to make college for everyone, now there's some colleges that are better than others. There's some degrees that are better than others. There's some careers that are better than others. And that's just the reality of... and. For the top kids, it just, you know, it often makes sense, right? It just, because they're the go-getters and they're going to do well no matter what they do. They could skip college. And they probably get scholarships, right? So they get to go. They would get scholarships. They'd help pay for it. They could take crazy amounts of loans and they would just have a strong income and they'd pay them back, right? I mean, most people don't feel too bad for the doctor that makes $300,000 a year and has to spend 2000 a month on student loans. It's like, okay, well, but your income can support it. So you're still doing pretty well. But if you've got these homeschool moms, they're, you know, or homeschool families and they're on a one income, maybe they're making between 50 and 100 and their child wants to go to this certain school, but the mom is feeling guilty. Like I can't set, you know, financially I can't send you to that school. I mean, the stress that it could create, but is there any difference, you know, like you mentioned community college, they could try that first and then do the, the last two years at that school because the diploma is going to say that from that second school, it's not going to say they did a two-year and a two-year, correct? Correct. Yeah, right. So there's lots of cost savings where you could live at home. There's ways that you can get college credits done ahead of time. I think the challenge is if you're a really strong student and you want to go to a really elite degree or, you know, if you want to study physics and then go on and get your PhD in physics, I mean, you need to go to a strong enough school so that you can go on and get, get accepted to grad school 
you know, you need to have a good solid foundation, but you can do that probably at the state, some of the state colleges. You can do that at some of the private colleges. You can do that at state, other states, state colleges, right? So you could, you know, live in Illinois and go to UW, Wisconsin or whatever. And those are all real options. Now, sometimes you can work hard in high school and transfer a bunch of credits. So that's a little different, again, where you're trying to get on that high-end education track. But there's some people where, you know, when's the last time you were doing anything medical and you were talking with the nurse and you, you say, oh, wait, wait a minute, where did you go to college? Oh, you went there? No, you can't touch me. Go away. Go get somebody that went to a better school. I mean, nobody cares, right? I mean, that's the reality of it is a lot of education is on the job. A lot of education is, well, you just got to get the degree. And that's a frustration, I think, for a lot of people, right, is I can't get the next promotion because I don't have the four-year degree. And then they go off and they say, all right, I got to find somewhere where I can get that piece of paper that says I have a four-year degree. And they're not trying to learn anything. They just want the piece of paper. So what's the lowest cost, easiest way for me to get the piece of paper? And what that's good for them, but it's bad for the industry in general, right? Because now people are saying, well, wait a minute, you can just go get a piece of paper and you don't have to put a lot of effort into it. You don't have to learn anything. Well, that cheapens the value. It's kind of like a high school diploma, right? There's lots of high school kids that somehow graduated, but they can't read. So employers can't trust that a college, that a, a diploma means you're educated well enough for their job. They, you know, so they get nervous. So there's this, a lot of politics around education, right? If I could go past the bar, can I be a lawyer? Do I have to go to college or can I just learn it all some other way? And then, and then there's it? some, we all know there's different law schools. Some here, you know, you know of, and some you've never heard of, and they still could be the same good lawyer, you know, I don't think if I was hiring a lawyer, I'd find out what college they went to. Probably wouldn't even cross my mind. But if you look at like graphic designer, musician, right? A musician, especially, right? Well, play your instrument for me. Oh, yes, you're good. You're hired versus do they care that you went to this school or that school to learn it? Or you just practiced a lot on your own or, you know, so the school of hard knocks is often legitimate, but sometimes it's not legitimate because you need the stupid piece of paper. So there's that, you know, so there's this ongoing on the other hand, do we want to have, you know, doctors and lawyers that never went to college and they just hang their shingle and say, I'm a doctor now? You know, so they, we got to find that balance in that society as in general. But because of that, it trickles into, well, college planning. Well, if I go get a piece of paper from a college that nobody's ever heard of and I didn't have to work real hard to get it, is it going to have a lot of value? And that's the challenge, right? Where, again, some degrees, and the other, I guess, piece of it is, college education is sometimes is job training, right? If you go study nursing, you're going to learn how to be a nurse and then you're really only qualified to be a nurse, right? You're not going to go on and do other things. I mean, you could, but not because of the education. Elementary ed is the same way. And there's a very strong correlation. If you want to be a teacher, you got to get this degree. And if you get this degree, you're going to be a teacher. Whereas what if you wanted to sell MRI machines or launch a business that does lawn care? What degree do you need for that? Or no degree at all, right? You don't necessarily need a degree for some of these things. And I think that's where a lot of planning would start with, well, here's my goals. Here's where I want to go. What are the viable paths? Does school have to be on that path? Is there a way around it? And then maybe you also say, but school might be the easier path or the path that the student really wants to take. But there's a difference between easy path and a happy path. And I, and I think in our society, parents push their kids to go to college. I mean, I'm 49. I, I 
everyone that I know, not everyone, obviously, but they're not doing what they went to college for. And and it's funny because I actually became a nurse and I'm a nurse. I still have my license, but I have not practiced since 05. And I would never go back to nursing because I, I don't know it anymore. I mean, I, I would not do good in it. You know, someone would get sick. I have no clue how to do nursing anymore. However, I still do my CEs every two years. Why not? I still have my license. Why not? And who knows? But it's kind of like the fact that how do we know what we love to do when you're 18, right? And your parents want you to go to college. It's what you do. You don't know what you want to do. So the college labels you as undecided. But what if you knew what you wanted to do? What if you knew you, you, you loved cars and you wanted to be one of those people who worked on the cars uh, on NASCARs, NASCAR cars, right? Like you just wanted to find a NASCAR driver and be one of the mechanics to be on there. Well, the first thing you do, maybe go to North Carolina and find a race car driver and get on the job trading. You don't need any college for that. So so what do you tell parents who are like, what do we do? My son says they don't want to go to college, but we feel like they should, or they have such a specific thing they want to do. I mean, it's could, it's all over the map on, on what we should do. 10 years ago, your child just went to college. There was kind of no question to ask. But now people are asking those questions because they're not trusting colleges. It's so expensive. They don't want to pay for them. They're like, you could go to college, you could get out of college and become something completely opposite of what you went to college for because now you decided that's not what you wanted to do. My goodness, there are so many ifs, ands, or buts. What do we do? Brad, you have to have all the answers for us. <laughs> I do not, unfortunately. But the other big thing, what you didn't mention that's a really big concern is lots of people start college, but they never finish. And that's probably one of the most expensive mistakes that kids can make is two years of college, a bunch of loans, but then I didn't even get the degree. So what is the statistic on why why someone stopped college? What what do you find? What have you heard? Why, why is that? I mean, and again, I, I don't know that they've solved it or un, truly understand. I think part of it is it's not a good fit. So kids that, again, in the past, you know, when I went to college many, many years ago, it was unusual to run into somebody that says, you know, I've been uh, working on this degree. And then I switched majors and I'm on my fourth major. I've been here four years so far. I've got another three to go, but college was affordable back then. And it wasn't a big deal. If a student said that today, parents, you know, you know, parents blush or they, the color runs out of their face and they get really stressed out. Cause it's like, well, who's paying for all this adventure and exploration because it's not cheap to do that. So how do we, you know, deal with that? And I think that's the, the challenge right now, yes, is we're asking 17 and 18 year olds to figure out what they want to be when they grow up at a time when it's really tough. I mean, I'm just started doing my podcast. So I'm just now figuring out what I want to do when I grow up. It's really hard. Brad, I was hoping you had all the answers for us. And again, parents kind of know sometimes, right? I mean, you've got, you know, you got the kid that's been the stargazer since he's 12. And you know, he's going on to study the stars, and he's gonna either do it with an astronomy degree or a physics degree or, a, you know, whatever, right? So that's, Somehow he's getting in there and he's probably going to maybe, you know, you might assume that he has to go on for advanced degrees. So it's like, well, get your undergrad wherever, because you're going to have to go on to the next degree. Get your PhD from Harvard or Yale or one of the big names, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And like with my son, um, you know, from a very young age, he likes to put things together, take things apart. And everyone's always like, oh, you're going to be an engineer. You have that engineer mind. Engineer. I mean, we've heard it a million times and I think I've even said it. And then the other question is, well, what can you be? If you didn't want it, because then he has to like work for somebody like it's a, you know, sit at a desk, 
Yeah. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do any of that. Doesn't have to. So what could he be that doesn't require college, but still allows him to be happy and create that skill, right? I mean, he's only 14. We haven't figured that out yet. But parents need to also ask other questions. What else could they do? What else could they do except be a nurse? What else could they do except be a doctor? What else could they do? Well, and again, and, you know, so my, one of my sons is actually studying engineering and it's a great fit for him because he's always been the math and science and he's always been very academic and he's always, you know, again, I was pretty sure he, you know, that same, you're going to be an engineer. Well, yeah, that, that's him, right? It was just a matter of which kind of engineering and, you know, and I have an engineering degree, but engineers do, it's a very. You have an engineering degree and you're a financial planner. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Well, I learned how to work with numbers and problem solve, right? The difference is the expectation with some degrees, especially in when you get to the technical side of things, you know, they give you a base how does chemistry work and how does electricity work? And you don't learn anything that's useful on the job. When you show up at Ford and say, I have a mechanical engineering degree and they say, well, what do you know about suspensions? Nothing, but I've learned how to learn about suspensions. So throw me in the deep end and let's get to work. Yeah. You'll definitely learn more on the job. Yeah. In the past, you could start sweeping the floors at Ford and then one day prove your talent by doing some drafting or solving a problem on the line or something with it. And all of a sudden, you know, you're an engineer with no training, but you just been around the plant for so long that you know how it works and you applied yourself and you worked hard. That's really hard to do in today's society where, but it happens in the new industries, right? When cell phones first came along, there was no cell phone degrees. Nobody was taught how to program a cell phone or how to, be customer service for a felt people came from all different industries and got into the cell phone stuff. Now there are degrees and it's starting to shift now where maybe you do have to have a little more formal training if you want to be involved in the cell phone. It's been around 20 years, but you know, solar and electric cars and there's all kinds of new stuff where the degrees don't exist because the technology and the, you know, the concept doesn't exist yet. So if you want to get into the cutting edge of stuff, you can do it many different ways. Or if you want to be a graphic designer or you want to be a programmer or build websites, most people that hire those people don't care about your education. They say, can you do what I need? Yes, you can. You're hired. It's so true. They want someone who knows who knows how to think for themselves, not just can go in there and, and, and know how to do the technical stuff, but doesn't know how to create something. Creative people, I don't think can be, creative people are the best because they're going to think for themselves and figure out how to how to do something instead of, but if you have a job that you need to follow directions, then you, you might have to go to college. There's just all different, all different kinds and all different people. Right, exactly. So there's many paths. There's no right or wrong. And I think that's the key where parents will say, well, they got to go to college. It's the only path. It's no, well, it's, it is a path. And for the right people, it's a good path. But when you, that's, I think, where the, when it's not the right path, I think that's when problems really, you know, that's when after two years, they're back home and they've flunked out or just dropped out for whatever reason. You said it's and they're back home with you and you're like, you better figure something out. Right. Exactly. That wasn't for me. And, you know, gap years aren't wrong. Lots of families and, um, you know, there's certain countries where, you know, you have to take a gap year because you have to do your military service or you have to in certain situations where lots of people are doing gap years. And there's been studies on, you know, the kids that 
take gap years with intention, it is perfectly fine. I think. And people have to think of a gap year, not as delaying college, but really honing in and figuring out what that child wants to do. And it could really set a great trajectory for the child's future path instead of looking at it as it's delaying college, because it actually could be something very, very good for them, unless they know exactly what they want to do and want to be. So Brad, thank you so much for being on my show. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of parents got a lot of good things about what they should do. And what is, how did someone get in contact with you? I'll also have it down in the show notes, but how are, how are ways someone can talk to you if they have questions? And you also have some courses on your website and you've got a lot of great information. I'd love to share that with everybody. Yeah. So everything is at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. So I have a podcast. I've got a free email newsletter. I've got some free courses and uh, resources and cost of colleges by state where you can go, you know, it's a great resource that you can look up what it costs. And if you're just starting, you know, you want to see some of the numbers in your state based on various incomes. And so again, lots of free resources and my phone number is there on the website. If you want to reach out and call me or just schedule an appointment, if you have questions, but yeah, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. And it's a great place to start for everything. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of great stuff on there. I actually went on your website and you've got a lot of good stuff. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, friend. Before you go, I want to thank you for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, I would truly be grateful if you could just take a moment and leave me a five-star review. Your review will help me improve and reach more listeners who could benefit from homeschooling. Until next time, keep exploring and discovering new ways to make your homeschooling a fun and enjoyable experience. Happy homeschooling!